0: Well, a very good morning to all of you and also a good morning to all those who are at the Hub. Uh, It's good that we are able to gather together and worship the Lord every Sunday. Now, you heard that today is our track conference Sunday. Once a year, we remind ourselves that though we are many churches, but we are all connected, we are sister churches, we are all one family. And so today we celebrate that togetherness, and uh, we are given the theme, Worship Together. And the suggested scripture that was given was, is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to verse 25. And so I'm going to follow uh, the guidance from the president and share with you on this Text and this theme. If you have your Bibles with you, can I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews 10, reading from verse 19. The scriptures say, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we just want to thank you that we can come together to worship you on this conference Sunday. We thank you that together with all the other sister churches, we can ponder over your word and reflect, Lord, on your call that we as a body of believers may learn to worship together and enjoy your presence in a special way. And this morning, as we turn to your word, we pray that you'll speak to each one of us, lift up our spirits, and help us to live our lives in a way that will be pleasing to you. This is our prayer, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I think before I continue, I should, uh, since it's Conference Sunday, also bring greetings from our President, uh, Reverend Dr. Gordon Wong. Uh, He sends his greetings to all of you. And since I'm now in uh, Wesley Methodist Church as a re-engaged pastor, uh, I should also bring greetings from your former pastor, uh, Reverend Stanley Chua. Uh, He is the pastor in charge uh, of Wesley, and I serve with him. And it is wonderful to know that we are all one family, no matter which church we may be in, one family in Christ. Can you say amen? Now, as we turn to our scriptures this morning, we are reminded that we are called as brothers and sisters in Christ to not neglect gathering together like this and to take the time to worship God and to experience God's goodness. Now, if you look at the scripture, you'll find that the scriptures encourages us with three specific exhortations as we gather together. And I want to take the next few minutes to share those three exhortations with you. So what are they? Firstly, we are called to draw near to God. That is to say, every time we gather together to worship, we do not just sing, we do not just praise, but we are drawing near to God. And the scripture says this, verse 19. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, let us draw near to God. Now what does this scripture really mean? We need to understand the background a little bit. See, In the Old Testament, in the temple worship, in fact even in Jesus' time, The temple was divided into different sections. There's one place called the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. And that's where you have the Ark, where the Ten Commandments are kept, and so on and so on. And that is a place no one can enter. Only the high priest, once a year, he enters to offer sacrifice. And there's a curtain that separates that place from the outer courts. So we who gather, or the Jews who gather the worship will be outside, they can't get in. The curtain is a remind us that there is a separation between God and us. But you read the Gospels, you remember when Jesus died on the cross. The day he died on the cross, that curtain was torn in the two, it was split apart. And he was a sign to all of us that this separation has been removed. When Jesus died for us, he cleanses us from our sins, he opened the way, and we can all enter into the presence of God. We don't need Pastor Lee to bring us in. We can go in ourselves. You don't need a high priest. You don't need anyone. Every one of us can enter the presence of God. And that is why the scriptures say, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let Us draw near to God. The scriptures is calling us to draw near to God. The scripture is telling us each one of us can enter in. And it's important that as we gather every Sunday to draw near and seek the presence of God. Church is not just something we do. We are drawing near to enter into the presence of God. To worship God, to lift up His name and to tell Him how wonderful He is. Isn't that true? Can you say Amen? Amen. But one of the wonderful truths is this. Even as we can enter to lift up His name, we can also enter and cast our burdens upon Him. We can cast our cares upon Him. He cares for us. And He can make a difference in our lives. And therefore, every time we gather together, we want to draw near. We want to praise. And we want to say, Lord, help me in my journey of faith. Because I need you. And the truth is this. The Lord hears our cries and He responds to us in a special way. So that we encounter God. We experience the presence of God and Christianity, the Christian faith, becomes something very real and very special. In fact, a man who knew this very well is Pastor Jim Simbala. He's currently uh, the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York. He wrote in one of his books a testimony of how God called him into the ministry. He shared that while he was in his late 20s, His father-in-law, who was overseeing a number of churches, once invited him to speak in a small church, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. It's a small church, they're struggling, not much funds, and the people who came were all the troubled people. And so, as a committed Christian, as a lay preacher of sorts, his father-in-law said, Can you take four Sundays, come and just preach, and help this church? And he agreed, so he went. One Sunday he preached, the second Sunday he he ministered there, and on the second Sunday, the pastor there resigned. And so the church had no pastor. Well, his father-in-law was trying to find a replacement pastor, and after some time, turned to this young man and said, You know, I think uh, you can be the pastor. And so he called him and said, I would like you to be the pastor of this church. And of course, he kind of resisted. He he said to his father-in-law, you know, but I'm not a pastor. I'm not trained. Uh, What do I know about being a pastor? I don't know anything about being a pastor. How can I just come in and be a pastor of that church? Nevertheless, he said he would pray about it. He thought about it. He wrestled with it. And one day while he was commuting to work, he was wrestling with God and he said to the Lord, Say, Lord, I have no idea how to be a successful pastor. I haven't been trained. All I know is that Carol, that was his wife, and I are working in the middle of New York City, with people dying on every side, overdosing from heroin, consumed by materialism and all the rest. If the gospel is so powerful, as he talked to God, he broke down and he wept before the Lord. Because he sensed Now, if God is so great, why is there so much trouble in this church? But as he wrestled, he prayed, he sat in the presence of God, he sensed the Lord speak to him. He sensed God saying to him, If you and your wife will lead my people to pray and call upon my name, you will never lack for something fresh to preach. I will supply all the money that is needed, both for the church and for your family. And you will never have a building large enough to contain the crowds I'll send in response. As he pondered over it, his faith rose up in him and he believed God and he accepted that challenge and he became the pastor. And the first thing he did was he went to the church and he shared this, that God had spoken to him, to the congregation. He challenged them to rise up with him and to seek God in prayer. And so that church became a praying church. They would gather, they would pray, they would seek God, ask God to bless. And the amazing thing is this, as they sought God... God anointed him, God anointed the church, God raised them up, and the church kept growing, people kept coming, it kept growing and growing and growing, and today it's a church of 12,000 over members. God bless them in response to the cries of their heart. And not only that, the church is a huge uh, uh, choir, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, well known. They make records and all that. God bless them even as they believed God, entered into the presence of God, cast their cares upon Him, and He heard them. Friends, I want you to know that we have a God who's alive, a God who's real, a God who can help us. And Scripture calls us, draw near to God, because God can make a difference in our lives. Can you say amen? Amen? Now that is not to say that He didn't have any troubles in His life. Yes, he sought God, the church grew, he prayed, he experienced the presence of God. But there were occasions when he also had struggles in his life. In one of his books, he also shared about his struggle with his daughter. He had a daughter who, when she was young, she was like the model child. But as she became a teenager, she became more rebellious. When she was about 16 years old, she began to go astray. She didn't want to go to church. She did all the wrong things. She had a boyfriend, the kind of boy that no father would want to have for their daughter. And he did everything he could to turn her around. For two and a half years, she went astray. He tried to rationalize with her, tried to convince her about the right path, threaten her. Even try to bribe her, if you try come back, I will bless you, I'll give you this. He tried every trick in the book, but nothing worked. In fact, when she was about 18, or before 18, she left home, went to stay on her own, and left the house. And so he struggled two and a half years with his daughter. But you know something, he never gave up. He kept praying for her, she kept seeking the Lord, asking God, to come by, help him, restore her. And then one day, while the church was gathered in their prayer meeting, and they have huge prayer meetings where the church comes together every week, while at the church meeting, he received a note from a church member suggesting that right there and now, they should stop and pray for his daughter. And so that church rallied around him that Tuesday night prayer meeting, a few hundred people, they all raised their voices together, like in Acts chapter 4. They all cried out to God God, just help this pastor's daughter, just help Chrissy. Just prayed and they prayed and they prayed, and they just commended her to God as a congregation gathered together, drawing near to the presence of God. And you know something, something marvelous happened. A few days later, Chrissy the daughter came home. She came home, she knelt on the floor in the kitchen and she said, who prayed for me on Tuesday night? Because somehow, as they were crying out to God, God took hold of her, turned her around, convicted her and made her repent so that she would come home. So she came home, repented, asked her father forgiveness and her life was turned around. The church gathered to pray for her and God did something to her. Today she's joined in a ministry, she went for training and I believe she's serving full time right now. The point I'm trying to share with you friends is this, the scripture says we can enter the presence of God. The scripture calls us to draw near to God. And the truth is this, as we worship God, as we cast our cares upon Him, God responds to us and we can experience, encounter the presence of God to help us and make a difference in our lives. And that's amazing, don't you think so? Can you say, praise the Lord? And I believe that's true. I believe that's true. We have this amazing privilege to seek God in worship, in praise, and also to experience His grace in our times of need. Now the second thing we are called to do is this. Firstly, draw near to God. The second thing we are told, we are exhorted to do, and that is hold fast the hope we profess. Verse 23 says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. See, all of us have a hope in Christ. We have the hope of eternal life. We have the hope of experiencing the presence of God when we go home to be with Jesus and we'll be in heaven with the Lord. That is our Christian hope. And the hope is sure. It's a sure thing. It's not like, I hope it happens. The Christian hope is something that is sure. Sure. We know that. And the truth is this. When the scripture calls us to hold on to this hope, basically it's calling us to keep faith, to keep believing that this is true. Keep believing that God is faithful, that he who promised is faithful. To to hold on to the hope is to hold on in faith to keep believing God. And the truth is this. There may be times in our lives where our faith can get shaken. Isn't that true? There may be times in our lives we may go through struggles. We may go through pain, difficulties, challenges. And then we begin to waver in our faith. Oh, where is God? If God is real, how come He's not helping me? We can get shaken in our faith. It is true. And therefore, it is important if we are going to hold on to our faith, or hold on to our hope, It's important that we keep believing God and getting together to worship and as we worship to listen to the preaching of God's word to allow the word to minister to us because then we can strengthen and build up our faith. And this is important because if we don't have faith, if our faith wavers it will impact our worship, our prayer life, and our experience of God. If I'm full of faith, if I believe God, deep inside me will well up the desire, I'll be excited, and I want to worship God. Isn't that true? If deep in my heart I believe God to be a faithful God who can help me when I'm in trouble, I will draw near to God, and I will pray, and I will trust God to help me. But if I waver in my faith and I'm not sure about God, when I come to church on Sunday, I will be just standing there, and you know, I, I won't be worshiping. In my heart. I'll be downcast. And when I'm in trouble, I may not want to pray so much because I'm not sure God really helps me. I may pray, but I really don't believe and expect anything. You know what I'm saying? It is when we have faith, it lifts us up, and it, we. Enter the presence of God, we worship God, we pray, we encounter God. You see, when I was growing up, when I was young, I used to attend a Catholic church. I grew up, and I was born a Catholic, I grew up as a Catholic. And I remember, when I was a young Christian, I was a young boy at that time, I used to follow my father to church. And he would go to the 6.30 a.m. service. You know, Even our Methodist church don't have so early service. The earliest I know is 7.30 in Wesley. You know, he would go to 7.30 a.m. church, and I would go with him. And the interesting thing is this. The service is in Tamil. And the priest uh, who conducts the service is a French priest who speaks Tamil. And so it's a French priest conducting a Tamil service, and my father and I would be attending the service. And you know something? I don't know a word of Tamil. And so, I have no clue about what's going on. I don't know anything. And, and so, after some time, I was thinking to myself, why are we attending a Tamil service? Now I have no idea what's happening. It was just like a ritual. You know. And, and I think back, it was like, I was going to church, but I really didn't understand God. I didn't really know God. God was not real. It was just a ritual. It was just a habit. And to tell you the truth, I slowly wavered away, and I drifted away, I got into all kinds of trouble, and this is another long story. Anyway, the point is this. When we do not hold on to faith, when we don't understand God, and understand how God relates to us, it will cause us to waver, it will affect our worship, it will affect our prayer life, and it will affect our walk with God. And the danger is this. One day we may even stray away and drift away from God. And that is why the Apostle Paul gave us a warning. He wrote a warning to Timothy in the first epistle to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 18. He said, Fight the good fight. Hold on to the faith and good conscience. And he said, Some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them, are Hymenaeus and Alexander. It is the possibility that a person who comes to church may waver, drift away and fall away from the faith. In fact, some long time ago when I was studying in Penang, I was attending the Baptist seminary, the first seminary I attended. I was studying a course on other religions. In one of the assignments, I had to go and interview somebody of a different faith. Because I was assigned to go and interview a Baha'i leader. Okay, this is a lady who is a leader of the Baha'i movement in Penang. So I made an arrangement to go visit her. I sat down with her, I did an interview, tried to get to know her a little bit, find out what they believe, and so on and so on. And I was amazed to find out that she came from my previous church. I used to be a member of Fairfield Methodist Church. I used to attend there, and she shared with me that her mother used to be the Sunday school teacher in Fairfield Methodist Church. She grew up as a child in Fairfield Methodist Church. But somehow along the way, she drifted away and she ended up becoming a Baha'i and a leader of the Baha'i movement. And I'm wondering to myself, I mean, uh, what happened? I mean, what, what caused her to drift away? Oh, by the way, Pastor Lee was also from Fairfield. But I'm not saying that it's his fault. uh. (laughs) Anyway, I, I couldn't figure out why. So Something must have happened to her that she drifted away. But the point is this. It's possible for somebody to go to church and if you don't understand your faith, you don't hold on to your faith, you can slowly go down the slippery slope and one day drift away when things are hard. In fact, she wasn't the only one. I remember when I became a pastor in the Methodist Church, I even came across a man who left church and joined the Jehovah's Witness. And I asked him, what is it that caused him to drift away? I don't really know. I didn't get a chance to find out. But the danger is this, friends, it's always possible. If we come to church and we don't understand the faith, we can, when challenges come our way, we drift away. And that is why the scriptures call us, say, hold on to your hope. Hold on to your faith. Do not waver. Keep coming and worshipping God every Sunday in our small groups and whatever occasions we have. Because as we gather together, we can listen to the preaching of the, of the word, It can build up our faith, help us be strong and help us to press on. Are you with me? Can you say, Amen? Can you say, let's hold on to our faith. And I believe that's important. And so the scripture calls us, draw near to God that we may experience his presence, worship him, know his answers to prayer, hold on to the faith. And thirdly, it encourages us to do one thing. It says, encourage one another. In other words, as we gather together, we want to remind ourselves we are one family here and we want to encourage each other. Verse 24 and verse 25 says this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us consider how to spur one another up. Love and good deeds. Encourage one another. Scripture is calling us to do this. The truth is this we live in a world where we face discouragement, challenges, and sometimes we feel all beaten up, isn't it? And when we come to church, we hope somebody will just encourage us. Isn't it true? I know, as a pastor, I go to church, I hope somebody will encourage me too, you know. But nobody seems to care. (laughs) I'm just joking. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But the truth is, we all go through struggles and we all need encouragement. And I believe that's true. When, When somebody encourages us, it lifts up our spirits, isn't it? It motivates us. Don't give up. Keep pressing on, no matter how hard it is. Life is. You know, you can do it. It motivates us to do better. It motivates us to keep shining for God. Even when we fall down, it motivates us to rise up and not give up. There is power in encouragement. In fact, Dr. Howard Hendricks used to be a lecturer at Dallas Theological Seminary, well known writer and preacher. I used to listen to his sermons on the old cassette tapes before. Some of you older generation people may know him. Anyway. He said he remembers from his childhood only two teachers, his teacher for uh, grade 5 and grade 6. He said that when he was young, he had a reputation for causing trouble in the classroom. He was a naughty boy in short. And he said when he went to grade 5, his teacher dealt with him by tying him to his chair and wrapping masking paper over his mouth. And so he remembers her like that. But then he said, when he went to grade 6, he got promoted. He said his new teacher was 6 feet 4 inch tall. And he described her as a feminine version of Sherlock Holmes. And he said, the first time he walked into class, his teacher said to him, Oh, you are Howard Hendricks. I've heard a lot about you. And then she said, But I don't believe a word of it. And she convinced him that she had confidence in him. He spoke encouragement into his life. And you know, something happened in him. It turned him around. He said, Because of what the teacher said to him, he did his utmost best to do whatever he can to make her happy. And his life was turned around. Friends, encouragement can lift us up. When people speak words, kind words, pleasing words, encouraging words, it lifts up our spirits. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24 says pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And I believe that's true. When we hear words of encouragement, it brings healing, strength, and it lifts us up. It's amazing what a little compliment can do. And church, I believe as we gather together to worship God, you know, we need to learn to speak kindly to each other. Isn't that true? We need to encourage one another. We need to spur each other up to loving good deeds. We should try to compliment one person a day, at least one. And so, some things we can do, for example, is this. You know, our wives, if you're married, our husbands need encouragement. You're married to a wife, tell her, you are the most beautiful in the whole church. let <laughs> encourage her. If you're married to your husband, tell your husband, you know, you're the handsomest man in my eyes. No, it doesn't matter if you're not so handsome. Beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. And so it's true. If you have children, no, don't always complain about your children. Tell your children, you bring joy into our lives. You are precious. You're going to become a man of God, a champion, a wonderful woman of God. Whatever it is you have, speak to them. Speak to one another. Whenever you gather together, you, know, you meet somebody. and say, your dress is beautiful. I like it. Oh, I like your smile. It's so warm. You know, you've got a worship leader. Tell him, you are anointed. God has a destiny for you. You know, live out his spirit. You know, speak words of encouragement to each other. Because as we speak words, we build one another up. Isn't that true? How many of you need a word of encouragement? I'm sure we all need, right? So let's practice. Turn to one person and say something nice. Can you do that right now? Turn to one person and say something nice. Okay, don't look at me. <laughs> your neighbor. Encourage your neighbor. Doesn't it feel good to hear something nice from your neighbor? Isn't it good? Friends, the scripture tells us that we should spur each other up, encourage one another. And so I want to challenge you, friends, as we worship God this day, On Conference Sunday, as we think of worshipping together, let us be encouraged to draw near to God and experience God's presence in worship and in prayer. Let us hold on to our faith and not waver. And let us learn to spur each other up and encourage one another. Can you say amen? Amen? Let us pray. Lord, we just want to thank you and praise you because we know that you are our amazing God. We thank you and praise you because we know that you are with us. We are not alone. You journey with us. You help us in our journey of faith. And we want to thank you that your Holy Spirit helps us too. Whenever we face challenges, you remind us of your promises. And we thank you. And we thank you that, Lord, we are not alone. We have brothers and sisters who can come alongside us stand with us, encourage us, so that as a family of faith, we can journey together. And so we want to praise you for the privilege of worshipping you together, Lord, every Sunday and every time we gather in small groups or in any kind of group that we meet in. And so we want to praise you. We want to pray that you strengthen us and help us, encouraged by your word and your spirit to keep walking with you, living for you, and serving you all the days of our lives. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.